0: Mortimer, episode two. Thank you for tuning into Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Mortimer is an entire novel that you may decide to read in print or digital form. Yet each episode of this audio podcast is broken up into a serial of sorts for your enjoyment. We hope you enjoy this duty-free audio presentation of Mortimer. I do say, I hope that all of you reputable folks of all ages are enjoying this serial presentation of Mortimer. I know I am. Cheerio! Lily Lou found Mortimer laboring at his easel several days later. The sun tipped down and into the hills, and the lighting, in Lily Lou's opinion, made her look rather fetching. "'Mortimer, is that you?' Mortimer had just put the finishing touches on the captain's flag and was at present staring thoughtfully into the port as he paused in his sketching. He did not respond, but just continued staring, lily Lou took another step closer, her cheeks flushing at the possibility of startling him. He looked quite himself today, his dark, bushy moustache twitching, as his right hand went back to work, moving vigorously across the paper. Quite funny meeting you here. lily Lou bristled at being ignored and adjusted the purple hem of her skirt, which rose dangerously close to exposing her kneecap. Her pulse quickened. "'knowing that if her father caught her in such a skirt "'that he would surely lock her away forever. "'She lifted her head and cleared her throat loudly. "'My God!' screamed Mortimer, and startled, "'he flipped backward in his chair for the second time that week. "'Just as before, his legs kicked into the air, "'this time making contact with the easel, "'causing his work of art to tumble to the ground. "'It's the apocalypse!' Mortimer cried out from his position on the grass. He looked like a cockroach with its arms and legs wiggling. "'Oh no, Mortimer!' Lily-Lou rushed to be by his side, trying to comfort him. He swatted her away and tried to roll himself onto his side. "'It's you!' Mortimer shot out a pudgy finger in condemnation. The rest of his tubby body wiggled and writhed in the grass." lily Lou reached out again and, this time, yanked Mortimer by his collar into a seated position. "'You're quite all right, Mortimer. It seems that every time you come around I wind up on my back.' At his words, lily Lou flushed a deep shade of red. However, Mortimer took no notice of her collar and busied himself pushing up onto all fours like a dog, before hoisting his lumbering frame to a standing position, all with the assistance of the overturned stool.' Lily Lou waited, her head turned away, her hands clasped at her front, as Mortimer went to work packing. He arranged his easel, graphite, erasers, and pages of drawings that he carried with him in a camel-coloured, eighteen-inch leather messenger bag. Lily Lou tried to peek at his drawings before he slid them into the bag. Mortimer never let anyone see his work. She had attempted to steal a glance at a time or two but it had always resulted in an emotional explosion from the artist. She couldn't blame him, really, for she had learned in primary school that many of the greatest minds were unpredictable. Why, Van Gogh even cut his earlobe off for love. She sighed at the pure romance. She watched him silently, and her lip tilted up in a half-smile as he clumsily picked up the last piece of graphite, dropped it again, and bent over to retrieve it once more and as the sun buried itself below the horizon, Mortimer finally finished packing and carefully organizing all of his things. Lily Lou found the twilight to be uncommonly romantic and her heart flooded. While she was usually not permitted to be out and about after dark, tonight she had told her father that she was going to the church. Pleased at her uncharacteristic religiosity, Mr. Longhorn had given her special permission to stay out late. She'd been under the iron thumb of Mr. Longhorn for eighteen years, and she was determined that from now on she would be her own woman, have her own life experiences. She was getting so old, and she knew that she must have some fun before he married her off to be stuck in an old mansion somewhere, nursing babies. You're only as young and beautiful as she was for a short time. Pleased by her ingenuity, Lily-Lou brushed a hand through her hair and, "'twisted her mouth into a most charming smile. "'Well, Mortimer, it must be fate that we end up together so often.' "'You still here?' "'Lily Lou suppressed the flash of anger and quickly composed herself. "'Mortimer, I need an escort. Would you be so kind as to accompany me?' "'An escort?' "'I'm off to the church, and you know it's highly improper for me to be alone on the streets at night.' Lily Lou knew that Mortimer's nanny, Mrs. Dixon, had reared Mortimer with rules of utmost propriety. Even though his social graces were a bit uncustomary, when directly addressed with rules, Mortimer was uncommonly compliant. She saw his expression change as her request registered. "'To church, you say?' Mortimer fumbled with his satchel, his eyes darting around them in darkness. "'Indeed, down on High Market Street,' "'Isn't church on Sunday mornings?' Mortimer scratched his head in confusion. "'The church is open every day of the week.' She held her breath as he considered. Finally he acquiesced, and nodding once, "'It is on my way home, anyhow.' With that he turned and started to walk away. Lily Lou's jaw dropped in surprise at his resistance of her charm. All the young men typically fawned at her feet and The challenge gave her a thrill low in her abdomen. Holding her hat atop her head, Lily Lou scurried quickly after him. 1918. His feet were silent as he moved with skill in hot pursuit. The furious shrieks had transferred into hysterical sobs as they traversed the short distance from Highmarket Street to their destination at the harbour. Take me with you! Her companion paid no mind to her pleas, and huffed laboriously as they arrived to their portion of the dock that was assigned to the Iscariot ships. "'It was part of the plan all along. I was supposed to come with—' "'You will be taken care of here, and be like your wife, to rot in some mansion all alone?' "'You will never be like my wife,' he shot back. With renewed wrath she lunged at him, her nails drawing blood. Howling in pain, he pushed her violently away, and she fell to the ground. He moved quickly, and as she scrambled indignantly, he boarded the larger of the pair of ships that were tied to the dock. His deft hands quickly went to work, untying the ropes. "'You'll pay for this! I'll kill you, you dying bastard!' As she pushed up from the ground, he pushed off from the dock. In victory, He stood on the edge of his ship, grinning as the distance between him and the frantic woman grew. "'You'll pay for this!' she screamed with impotence. Her voice echoed into the harbour. "'You'll pay for leaving me here!' But he did not reply. Like white, billowing clouds, the sails went up and caught the evening breeze. The ships moved farther out into the black sea. She stood at the edge, sobbing, a white handkerchief in hand. The man in black stood in resignation, prepared to turn away, prepared to leave. There were no rules against a man boarding his own ship. But then there was a flash of light and a thunderclap of explosion. Shit! He whirled around just in time to see the ship in the distance burst into a thousand pieces. Shit! How had she done it? He leapt over the bush that stood between him and the dock and plummeted toward the woman. Her sobs had quieted and she stood speechless, staring at the blood-red flames as the obsidian sea engulfed them. He moved like a bullet through the night, and upon seeing movement in her peripheral vision, she turned and screamed in surprise at his sudden presence. Before she could strike him, he grabbed her wrist. "'Police!' "'No!' she jerked away violently. "'No, Gerard!' "'You're under arrest!' He slammed a handcuff to each of her wrists as she writhed. "'For the murder!' of Gerard Ascariot. The walk to High Market Street took only about fifteen minutes. There was no conversation, and that was how Mortimer liked it. He had too many things to think about. First and foremost was the issue of location. He'd been unable to see the rudder from his vantage point that day. He was determined his drawing to be an exact replica of the Esquire. If not, his project would be ruined. "'He must see the rudder in more detail. "'There were only two solutions to this problem. "'Move closer to the ship and, or, get a set of binoculars. "'Upon deliberating the pros and cons, Mortimer decided upon binoculars. "'He was not sure if he was prepared to come so close "'to the greatness of such a ship, "'a ship that deserved space, "'a wide diameter to be cast from itself and the rest of the world, "'with no one coming too close.' "'interrogating it, asking too many questions, or making demands. "'Mortimer grunted to himself, causing Lily Lou to look up. "'He paid her no mind, his thoughts wandered. "'There was, of course, another advantage to maintaining his post. "'It was a far less populated area. "'The city folk wandered up and down the road that bucked the port, "'gazing at the water and pointing out fish, "'generally making noise and being intrusive. "'The park offered him more peace and quiet.' to contemplate and render. Of course, that did not necessarily leave him uninterrupted, for Lily Lou had happened upon him at least three times that week already. Maybe he was going to have to find another place to draw after all. Here it is, Lily Lou's voice interrupted his thoughts. Mortimer stopped with confusion. It's a dark alley. Yes, yes. "'Lily Lou shot him a flirtatious glance "'before turning to trace her hands "'along the darkened brick wall of the building. "'What on earth are you doing?' "'Mortimer took several steps away from her. "'Stroking a wall hardly seems a thing to do at such an hour. "'Haven't you got to be to church? "'I have to find the doorbell.' Her small frame moved away from him "'as she searched in the darkness. "'Mortimer watched, ill at ease. "'This was a most uncommon way to find a church.' "'Churches were supposed to be easy to find, as to attract people to them.' Lily-Lou jammed her finger between a set of bricks and stepped back, a smile on her face. "'Well?' Mortimer was impatient. He preferred a seat at the front of the sanctuary so that he could see everything clearly. Lily-Lou ignored him, waiting. There was a sound of a low whistle down the alley. "'Come with me!' Lily-Lou grabbed Mortimer's large hand and tugged him into the alley." Until now, the only people Mortimer had allowed to touch him were Mrs. Dixon, Neville, and his mother. To be yanked into an alleyway with this bearcat was absolutely intolerable, yet it was happening. Her ironclad grip stymied his attempts to jerk his hand away. The next thing he knew, he was being whisked through a small door into a darkened room. "'Who is this character?' "'My friend, Mortimer.' It was stuffy in the room, and Mortimer couldn't see a thing. He began to turn and push his way back out the door, but a hand clasped his shoulder. Are you cool, man? It's a bit sweltering in here, actually, Mortimer pulled on his collar with disdain. He won't tell anyone. The foreign member squeezed Mortimer's shoulder, as if contemplating Lily Lou's promise, and finally released its steel grip. Lily Lou proceeded to pull Mortimer between two velvet curtains and into the church. The church looked nothing like a church. In fact, it looked strikingly similar to what Mrs. Dixon had described to Mortimer as a saloon, and saloons were places for miscreants. Not to mention that they were illegal. Mortimer scrunched his face in displeasure and wished he were back at the Iscariot Manor with his plate of sauerkraut, sausage, custard, and mutton. The ceilings were low and painted black. The floors were carpeted and dotted with small tables that had candles atop them. The lighting was dim, but Mortimer could see patrons hunched over drinks and talking. A stage was set up where a languid auto-harpist strummed out a sleepy song about lost love. To Mortimer's left was a bar. The back was mirrored with glass shelves holding bottles of liquor. A man dressed in black stood behind it and wiped down the surface with a wet dish rag. Mortimer's moustache twitched. "'Lily Lou, baby, how you doing?' A character wearing a grey suit and bow-tie approached them. A cigar glowed in his right hand, and a tumbler containing a liquid the colour of urine was in his left. Mortimer scowled, watching as the urine-drinker wrapped Lily Lou into an embrace. Herbert! she tossed her purse onto the bar. How's your mother? Ah, better. The doctor gave her medicine, and she was as right as rain in the morning after. He grinned at her and then reached out to shake Mortimer's hand. Good to see you, Mort! How's the old back treating you? He was referring to Mortimer's spill at the horse races. Mortimer cringed away from the burning red cigar between the man's outstretched fingers. Oh, sorry about that, old chap. Herbert grinned easily. He was not affronted by Mortimer's response, and without even waiting for Mortimer to answer his question about the condition of his back, Herbert focused his attention back on Lily Lou. What'll you have, doll? Mm. she twisted toward the bar as another man approached them with a lewdly-dressed blonde on his arm. Herbert, who's the bell-bottom? he asked, a smirk on his cleanly-shaven face. The blonde jumped into Lily Lou's arms. Darling, you look absolutely magnificent. Cindy, oh, you don't think the color's off? Lily Lou flushed, running her hands down the threads of her friend's dress. It's absolutely beautiful. Plum suit Mortimer's chest puffed up, and he tried to ignore the man who was grinning at him, awaiting an answer. Herbert turned away from the ladies and greeted the man, apparently a friend of his. Frank, this is Mortimer Iscariot of the Centennial Shipping Line. Mortimer, Frank Smith. You're in shipping! Frank's tone changed immediately upon learning Mortimer's identity. Much to Mortimer's chagrin, he took several steps closer. "'I assure you I have as little as possible to do with that company?' Mortimer scoffed, leaning away. Why? Well, "'Why's that?' Frank looked disappointed. Mortimer was no longer paying attention. "'When does the service begin?' Lily Lou had been leaning against the bar with her friend, and she glanced over her shoulder as Herbert raised his drink in support of Mortimer's inquiry. "'Here, here, I wonder the same thing.' Then, to the bartender, "'When does the show begin, old chap?' I've had enough of this melancholy. Let me get you some hooch. Frank put his hand on Mortimer's shoulder. Excuse me? Mortimer was aghast. A drink, darling, Lily Lou clarified. She took a drag from a cigarette, passing it to Cindy. (laughs) Lily Lou, you really are a live wire. Church special, communion wine, the bartender added, enjoying the scene. Mortimer seated himself at the bar and looked around his captain's hat glinting in the light. I must assume that this is a Protestant church, he observed aloud. My studies have confirmed that there is a growing lack of integrity to good doctrine and morality amongst the country's religious leaders, he sniffed the air. This establishment reeks of cigarettes and cheap booze. This cheap booze will be a nickel, the bartender slapped a small glass in front of Mortimer. ''You charge for communion wine?'' Mortimer was indignant. Frank tossed the bartender a couple of coins. ''Keep the change, old man.'' Before Mortimer could launch into a tirade, Frank interrupted him by raising his glass. ''I don't know what you're talking about, with doctrine or whatever, but I can tell you that this place puts on a good show.'' ''The modernization of a floundering creed,'' Mortimer agreed. He sniffed the liquid before setting it down, where it would remain until the moment of Holy Communion. Frank took a drink, still puzzled by Mortimer's comment, as the auto-harpist came to the climax of her ditty. With a series of deft strums, she completed her song. Whether in relief or genuine admiration of her work, the room filled with a subdued applause as she walked off the stage. "'So your old man was Gerard Iscariot,' Frank took a pull from a tumbler containing a foul-smelling liquid." Mortimer leaned away. "'What time does this service start? "'I must be home in time for my dinner.' "'Not long,' the bartender added ice to glasses. "'He'd been washing a tumbler on Mortimer's end of the bar, "'feeling it prudent to keep an eye on this unusual character. "'Frank was patient and tried again. "'Is it true that it wasn't even proven "'that that woman actually killed your old man?' "'Frank, leave the guy alone,' Herbert interjected. "'The show's about to start.' "'Finally!' Mortimer spoke with emotion. He twisted on the stool for a better view. "'I would never have imagined you was the flapper type,' Frank whispered. "'But then again, you are hanging out with that dame.' Mortimer had no idea what he was talking about, nor did he care. He settled back on the barstool, awaiting the piano to chime in, to accompany the reciting of the Nicene Creed. However, something most ghastly occurred instead. Mortimer's draw dropped in a pall as four women in sequin dotted flapper dresses slinked onto the stage. A chocolate-coloured man at a baby grand did play the piano, but to Mortimer's shock and appall it was not the Nicene Creed. Instead, he launched into a series of major-sounding chords, and the ladies struck a pose. My God! Mortimer cried. What kind of a service is this? Shh. Mortimer jerked his head to look toward the bartender. "'What denomination is this church?' "'Shut up!' another person from the audience shouted. The pianist began to play Black Beauty by Duke Ellington, and the girls twisted their hips in tandem. Two of the four turned their backs to the crowd, shaking with the music, the sequins glistening in the cheap lighting. "'This is not a church!' Mortimer leapt off the barstool. "'This is a rouse!' The swaying, bobbing, and wiggling on the stage continued in frenzy at the sound of the music. Then he felt a familiar grasp on his shoulder and heard a growl in his ear. "'You're coming with me!' Mortimer shrieked and threw the unholy whine into the man's angry face. "'Why, you!' The bouncer dragged his forearm across his cherry-dyed face before leaping toward Mortimer. But Mortimer was surprisingly quick on his feet. He dashed away, and was running down along the bar. "'It's a rouse! It's a rouse!' Mortimer cried. "'Whoops!' he tripped over an errant table, sending his body flying through the air. He landed and slid on his belly across a wooden table between two lovelorn patrons who leapt up in surprise as he passed. "'Get back here!' the bouncer hurried after Mortimer as the pianist played on. The dancers didn't miss a beat. This was nothing out of the ordinary.' "'I'll call the Pope,' Mortimer was shouting. "'The Embassy will hear about this.' "'Shut up, you stupid oaf! A woman screamed as the bouncer knocked her over, pushing her into a nearby man's awaiting arms. He whispered something in her ear, and she promptly turned and slapped him. Ay! Mortimer shrieked as he thundered by, arms flailing wildly, eyes wide and searching for a route of escape." Leave me alone, you viperous, uneducated rigatho Not so fast! An even more massive creature emerged from the shadows. Mortimer was cornered. On each side, two more bouncer-type scoundrels glowered at him and advanced. It's a violation of the Constitution! I plead the 13th! The closest grabbed a hold of Mortimer's once meticulous lapel. I've had enough of your riffraff he dragged Mortimer toward the exit. Mortimer, darling! Lily Lou ran toward them, but Herbert stopped her. It's his funeral, baby. Leave him alone. The slamming of the speakeasy door silenced Mortimer's voice. Carter, I need you in my office immediately. The sergeant made the demand as he passed by the break room. The evening shift was typically uneventful, and the squadron of five officers on duty had just settled down for a game of poker. Without hesitation, Carter pushed back his chair. Hold the game. He sounded serious. Orange stared dubiously at the empty doorway. Get used to it, kid. Carter grinned at the newest addition to the force. Then to the rest of the table. And don't any of you get any wise ideas. Ah, come on, Carter. What do you make of us? Carter rolled his eyes and left the room. Several moments later, he was seated across the desk of the chief of police. His superior had readers perched on the end of his nose and was glowering at the file in his hand. MH-1253 has escaped. That's impossible. The superior shot a sharp look across the desk. Report arrived thirty minutes ago. Seems she'd managed to gain the affection of one of the transporting guards. Well... She was something of a beauty, if I do recall. She was last seen in Philadelphia, three o'clock this afternoon. Why, well, it took them three hours to notify us? Well, we're not exactly top priority, Carter. We were the squadron that made her initial arrest. Carter leaned back arrogantly, remembering the evening with clarity. I'd say that deserves a pin in the map. Oh, well, you did a fine job. Uh, that's why I'm putting you in charge of the local investigation. Local investigation? Well, where do you think she's going to go now she's escaped? Oh, the woods? The mountains? Somewhere she won't be found. Exactly, the sergeant nodded. But she's also going to need money, support, and a place to regroup. You don't think she'll come back here? The older man narrowed his eyes. Well, what do you think? Carter felt a tingle of excitement in his abdomen. His career had skyrocketed with the arrest of the notorious feloness. She was a woman on the run. There were countless documentations of her indiscretions all over the country, most of them involving the robbery of rich aristocratic men. Typically, they fit a certain profile, old, rich, and with wandering eyes. She'd never actually killed any of them, which was why this one was for the papers. Why Carter now had a lifelong pension behind his name. You think she had an accomplice in Georgetown? Carter was putting the pieces together. There was, the sergeant agrees. It's possible that there still is. That's your job, Carter. It's possible they've already skipped town, Carter thought aloud. This isn't going to be easy. If it were going to be easy, I'd have given the job to someone else. I need your full attention on this. Carter nodded in understanding. If she comes back, we'll be ready for her, sir. With satisfaction, the sergeant stood up. "'signaling the close of the conversation. "'I'm assigning orange to your team.' "'Carter didn't bother to hide his chagrin. "'The new kid? "'He performed top of his class in all of his written examinations. "'Why, he's a poodle. "'A poodle you're gonna train.' "'Fine.' "'Resigned, Carter pushed up from his chair. "'But if he isn't up to snuff, "'I'll be requesting a transfer off my case.' "'Just what did you do to your jacket?' Mrs. Dixon demanded upon seeing Mortimer enter the house. She'd only arrived home herself forty-five minutes prior, when the front door was flung open. "'That minx led me into the lion's den!' The testament may have convinced someone other than Mrs. Dixon, but Mortimer looked a fright. His coat was stained across the back with grass, his bow tie was crooked, and his mop of hair was an unruly mess. His eyes were crazed, and his fingertips were darkened with what she assumed to be graphite. He was also dripping all over her front foyer. Mrs. Dixon put her hands on her hips. What minx assaulted you this time, Martimer? The minx did not assault me, the lumpish two-wit oaf did. An oaf! "'Call the police, the Navy, the FBI. "'They will conduct an investigation.' Mortimer appointed decisively. "'I shall not stand for this.' "'Eugene, what's all the fuss about?' "'A voice carried down from the top of the staircase. "'Mrs. Oskariot, it is only Martimer. "'He had a run-in at the park.' "'Mrs. Dixon tried to sound soothing. "'The woman was wearing a white nightgown, "'and her expression was vacant.' "'Oh, that's lovely,' her eyes brightened. "'Have you brought some crab-apples, Eugène?' "'I was not at the park,' Mortimer argued. "'I was at the church. "'Come with me. You're soaking wet.' "'Mrs. Dixon grabbed him by the ear. "'Were you swimming into Winya Bay again?' "'Mortimer yelped as she yanked him down the hall toward the bath. "'It's a monstrosity!' an infringement upon my constitutional rights. Ouch! You're pulling too hard. You are a civilized gentleman. What are people going to say when they see you running around like some crazed lunatic? Mrs. Dixon went to the bath and started the water. Mortimer flopped down on the closed toilet. I could not see the rudder as well as I would like. I shall require a pair of binoculars. Mrs. Dixon took a calming breath. Oh! "'Is that why you ended up in the water?' "'No, of course not,' Mortimer replied, "'genuinely annoyed by the stupidity of the question. "'What good could that possibly do?' "'Mrs. Dixon added soap to the bath. "'Can you tell me how you ended up in the water, then?' "'That question is trivial compared to the outrage that has just occurred,' "'Mortimer exclaimed before proceeding on a tirade of indignant ramblings.' Learn more at www.mortemabook.com Copyright 2022 M.W. Cedars Written by M.W. Cedars The author's pseudonym Audiobook performance by Michael Drew Neither this author, nor affiliates, comrades, patriots, or associates are engaged in rendering professional or non-professional advice, services, recommendations, or any other suggestions of any kind to the individual reader. This book is purely fiction and all opinions and all likenesses of characters, industries, cities, or associations with any place or anyone you know are purely coincidental. Thank you for subscribing to Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Be sure to download the next episode.